the rest day is behind us. It's stage 16, it's Tour de France, and we're in the Alps. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Hello, you beautiful roadmen. Welcome back to another Roadman Podcast. I just feel the need to be musical. It's probably because I had a stifled musical youth. And my Leaving Cert music teacher said to me, look, son, you just have no place in music. You'd be better off taking geography. And I listened to her and I did. Would have been bad to stick a fail on the Leaving Cert just because I thought I could sing. Anyway, we're past the rest day and we've dealt with the usual the usual, I'm wearing a yellow jersey and I'm in France in the month of July, so I need to answer a load of questions about doping. Felt a little bit sorry for Pogaccia and Roglic having to answer questions all the time, considering they've a clean slate so far. Now, there's some tenuous, um, no doubt I'm going to get hundreds of DMs and Instagrams about these tenuous connections with a doping doctor, but we surely need to have an innocent till proven guilty, not a innocent people have to prove their innocence very difficult to prove a negative that might be just my legal background but very very difficult to prove a negative and the lads have never done that so far so i'm willing to to trust and park that and now astana and those boys dirtiest fuckers around so don't get me started on vinokurov because i got a couple of dms going oh but you you criticize sanchez and astana and vinokurov but you don't criticize the slovenians very different one has a, no history of doping. The other has a pretty formidable history in doping. So there we go. Right, let's jump into stage 16 of the Tour de France. We're in the Alps. We're in the Alps and the drama. It's just building to a beautiful crescendo at the moment. Much like a symphony builds to this crescendo, the Tour de France is doing the same. And the Alps, it's our finishing piece. I cannot absolutely wait for the next week. Before I dive into this stage, I first want to remind you guys to head on over to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. The link is in the bio. Patreon's how I fund this podcast. And if you're getting some value from the podcast, pay me for my work. Give me the price of a coffee. Give me the price of a beer. I'm not looking to become a rich man out of the podcast, but I'd love to make this a full-time sustainable venture where we can keep this podcast going indefinitely because I do feel we're on the cusp of something special that it's touching people's lives and there's a place for this on the good earth so please I would ask you to support the podcast over on patreon.com a link is in the bio we're stage 16 we covered 168 kilometers today from La Tour de Pin to La, to Villard de Lons we had some climbing to deal with on the race today, but we had, before we even got started, uh, the usual, the usual little bit of rest day, roundup stuff to get through. And the one thing that stuck out for me, which I wanted to go through, was Dave Brailsford's comments. Uh, he said, we took stock of the situation on the rest day and nobody was looking more in the mirror for, than us. It's a test of pride, passion and character now to come back from this for the rest of the week. But as far as we are concerned, this is the first day of trying to win the Tour de France next year. 
to get something out of the race and maybe to do a few things we wouldn't normally risk doing he referred to as in going into the last uh, week of the race I'd never judge myself on somebody else's narrative to be honest uh, this is around the speculation about should Froome and uh, Grant Thomas have been uh, brought to the Tour de France he's doing a f- fantastic job this is Froome he's doing a fantastic job getting back to where he needs to be on both fronts we will go back and see what we can learn from this. Brailsford finished off by saying, I don't gamble in relation to on the form of Froome and Garant Thomas. And yeah, it's it's interesting because as soon as Bernal got dropped on the call to Grand Columbia, as soon as Bernal got dropped anywhere, the critics were going to come out. The armchair 2020 hindsight critics were going to come out and say they shouldn't have built the whole thing around Bernal. I'm, I'm going to be one of those armchair critics. Because I don't think you can hide behind the fact going, oh, it's easy in hindsight. You can also say this, you have a better chance. It's a probability game. If Grant Thomas was happy to do so, I'm not sure if he's happy, but he'd done a great job support last year and he stood on the Tour de France podium. Maybe he's not on the exact same ping and form this year, but he's there or thereabouts. He's up there in Torino Adriatico. You bring him, maybe he rides into the race. If something happens, it's a this is a sport where we have a million variables and we say someone like Roglic or Bernal goes into the race as favourite but it's three weeks you have I don't even know how many kilometres over three weeks a touch of wheels and it's over one bad day one bad night's sleep one bad meal it's over like think about three weeks in your day-to-day life and the things you do from stubbing toes on the bed getting into bed having a bad meal where your stomach's not great a bad night's sleep waking up with a headache dehydrated and that's you not even probably riding that much and now you throw in you throw in all the you know drama of the Tour de France the stress of the Tour de France and then the physical exertion of the Tour de France that just amplifies the chances of anything happening to you so reduce the probability of or to increase the probable chances of you having a good result in Tour de France I don't see how you leave a player like Garant Thomas at home so building for next year's Tour de France me whole because the narrative before this was yeah we can go and we can do a ride in the Tour the Vuelta and the Giro and now they've had a bad tour so it's all about next year's tour which is it's very to say that it's very dismissive of his team selection because he tried to say you know on team selection so you know the Giro the Vuelta and the Tour they're all equal races which is bollocks because we know they're not all equal races we know the Tour is clearly the prioritised race for teams especially Team Ineos but now that it hasn't gone well he's just completely dismissive of Froome and Thomas's chance in the Vuelta and the Giro so I don't like that it's not nice and apparently he's on 5 million a year at Brailsford which I heard where did I hear that the move podcast George Hincapie uh, one of the episodes one, one of the nuggets of information I managed to catch in their 25 minute episode which is 19 and a half minutes of ads some good products but 19 and a half minutes of ads lads come up for air come up for air the fuck uh, we had Egan Bernal today in the broom wagon that boy you know he didn't fight to hang on today the GC is over for Bernal he's the defending champion so I don't there's no criticism attached to being in the broom wagon or no judgment the broom wagon for anyone listening it's 
historically comes from the idea that there was a bus on the end of the road or a van and it was the last vehicle behind the last group on the road and it was used to metaphorically to sweep up riders that's why it's called the broom wagon so the broom wagon kind of rides at just above the time cut so you need to get in of 20% of the winner's time. So the winner crosses the finish line, then you take 20% of that, add it on, and the last rider needs to be in before 20% has elapsed, or else he's disqualified from the Tour de France. So the broom wagon will encourage people to stay ahead of that pace. If they're falling behind the broom wagon, they're typically out of the race. Although, if you're in an Irish race, there'd be some dubious tactics. I've heard stories of lads getting into the broom wagon. The broom wagon accelerating 20 kilometers down the road in the Ross and then dropping someone out. But that's a story for another day. And I could name names here, but I won't. Uh, some funny stories out of races. Uh, but I think it's all above board uh, in races like the Tour de France with the broom wagon. But Egan Bernal was in the broom wagon, which is historically just sprinters. So we have, you know, our Sam Bennett's, our Caleb Ewan's, our Peter Sagan's, and they bring up the rear of the race in the broom wagon on mountain stages. I would say Bernal was like the new kid in school where he had to kind of learn the rules and introduce himself. And all the other guys are kind of 75 kilograms and he's sort of this weird man child at about 49, 50 kilograms. I'd say it was first day at school for him. But he looked to be enjoying himself. He kind of had his big brother, uh, Luke Rowe, with him, who was able to just kind of introduce him to the lads and tell him what was going on. Right, let's get into the race and stop talking dribble. Uh, we had two races today. We had a race at the front of the race for the breakaway, which started out as 35 men. I think it was the biggest break in this year's Tour de France. I stand to be corrected for that. Uh, Carapaz from Team Ineos. Carapaz, who I've been a vocal critic of because the Netflix documentary painted him like a prick. So I haven't liked him since then. He looked arrogant. But then there's a part of me that warms to him because he's Ecuadorian. They love him over there. He's from a poor background. And everyone loves that story of, you know, the underdog done well. So, you know, now I haven't said all that. I still think he's a prick. <laughs> so no, I don't like him. And I was rooting against him today. So I was delighted when he got whacked over the last climb uh, by Lenny Kamna. So how it broke down was Carapaz he was Mickey swinging all over the last climb he was attacking people Alaphilippe looked like someone put a stick in his spokes going up the climb he must have cramped because he just blew his lights that left Carapaz from Team Ineos Reichenbach from Francis De Joux and Lenny Kamna the 24 year old from Bora Hansgrove at the front of the race Carapaz hit it again it's just Kamna and Carapaz coming just to the top of the Cat 1 climb then we have a descent and a small finish up a cat tree. I'd say it was four or five hundred meters from the top of the climb. Kamna hit him on a counter attack after Carapaz had been riding super hard, and he just gapped him by four or five bike lengths. But there's such a good lesson here. It's known the strengths of your opponent. So this is why I always talk about it. this is a game of chess. And Lenny Kamna knew he's a heavier rider, he can descend better than Carapaz, but he can't climb as well. So he knows he has a descent and then he has the valley to make you know make that gap to give himself a buffer going into the last climb so that's what he does he gets himself four or five bike lengths with a vicious attack over the top of the cat one climb and then he pushes it on presses it on the descent and it goes from four bike lengths to four seconds to 10 seconds and going into the base of the last climb he's got himself a minute 15 buffer on carapaz and a minute 15 buffer it was a 2.2 kilometer climb at 6.6 percent it was the call the meal 
Carapaz just gave up on it. There was no... If it had been 20 seconds, we would have seen this violent charge from Carapaz to try and close the gap. But it just wasn't possible. He built himself such a buffer. So the 24-year-old, who actually took his first career pro victory in the Dauphiné only last month, has added a Tour de France stage win onto his Palmares. At the age of 24, it's absolutely incredible. And Bora, we talked about the other day, they wrote 76% of the entire stage on the front of the bunch for Peter Sagan. These guys have ridden time and time again for Sagan. We talk about how hard Sagan is on his soldiers, on his troops. So to see Lenny Kamna winning and to see him beating that little prick Carapaz, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Carapaz hung on for a second. Uh, Reichenbach got third place. Sivakov for Ineos was fourth, which is interesting because we remember the first stage in the call the ease. It feels like it was younger back then. Like, what was that, two weeks ago? It feels like it was two years ago. Up to call the ease, that wet day when everyone was crashing, Sivakov hit the deck twice. Real bad crashes. He was lucky to finish within the time cut that day. He seems to be coming around a little, and he was in the break today. It's the first signs of life he's seen. And our very own friend of the show, Mr. Nicholas Roach, he was eight on today's stage, having been in the breakaway all day. What was interesting from today's win from Lenny Cam, that was, it's the eight first time stage winner we've had on this year's Tour de France. So a little bit of a trivia question for you roadmen out there and I'll give you a little roadman cap. You obviously got to be following me on Instagram because if you're not following me on Instagram I won't see that you've sent me a DM. So follow me on Instagram and send me a DM and tell me the other seven. So Lenny Camna's one first time stage winner. I'll give you a second. It's Hershey. So now all you got to do is name me the other six and if you're the first person to do that, I'm going to give you a roadman cap. A roadman kiappa, as we say here. So I said we had two races. We had that race for a stage win, and then we had the second race. It really only started for this 2.2-kilometer climb on the Col de Mille. And we had David de la Cruz come from UAE, Pogaccia's teammate, come right over the top and set a heavy tempo. And it disrupted that Lotto Visma train, or the Jumbo Visma train. And that's what you have to do. You can't let them ride their pace. You need to change it up, especially some of the engines like uh, George Bennett and Tom Dumoulin. They like that steady pace. Dela Cruz came over the top, whacked it, disrupted that pace, and it definitely upset them. They weren't expecting it. But Wout van Aert, he just took control back. It's his 26th birthday today. The guy has the maturity of a 36-year-old. He rides like a Valverde. He, 77 kilograms, takes to the front of the bike race, on the last climb of the day when there's 20 guys left in the group and he just puts a pace on it where no one can attack and he completely it must be so comforting and reassuring for Roglic to have this kid there he's the best bike handler in the world he's the best one of the best time trialers in the world he's the best cyclocross rider in the world I'm actually sick of talking about how good this guy is uh, I seen Willie Smith who was a, a podcast guest of ours rides for BH Burgos was on talking about he can time trial he can climb he can I was like Willie Lock up your girlfriend, because if he can do that shit, he's going to throw down. You need to keep her under lock and key, my friend. In the end, uh, Pogaccia, he attacked, but it was weak-ish. Lopez countered. He didn't get any time. I think he got a bike length. We had, out of the GC guys, we had Superman, Lopez, Pogaccia, Roglic. We still have Pogaccia trailing Roglic by 40 seconds on the General Classement, as Sean Kelly would say, with Rigoberto Uran at 1.34. That's the big battle for the podium. Tomorrow, 
is epic it's 170 kilometers there's so many pivotal stages but you know when a stage starts in grenoble that it's going to be brutal we've two horse category climbs tomorrow it's the only stage in this race where we have two horse category climbs and a summit finish again tomorrow if pogaccio is going to make his move my prediction for the tour now it, it's a it's an irish poet is it yates someone will probably correct me on this it's this saying, and it's definitely applicable to my Tour de France predictions, that I hold strong opinions loosely. I think it's Yates. I could be wrong. Strong opinions loosely. I did say Bernal. I did say Roglic. I did say Bernal. Now I'm moving to Bogaccia because I think that he's going to just snatch and grab 10 seconds here, 15 seconds there, and we're set for the finale of all finales on this Call the Bell field. Get your Google calendar out now and block that Saturday off because you're not leaving home. That's a drinking in your boxer shorts at 10 a.m. job watching the full TT. It's going to be epic. We've two horse category climbs tomorrow, the Call the Madeleine, which I've done some serious suffering on myself in training camps, and then we have the horse category Mirabel Col de la Lose. It's a stinker. So tomorrow we're going to have the Jumbo Visma mutants hitting the front again. And they're going to try and control this Slovenian kid, Pogaccia. Then the big fight behind. It's Iran, it's Lopez and it's Yates looking for that last step on the podium. It's going to kick off. It's going to be epic. I actually can't wait to chat to you guys on the Roadman podcast tomorrow night. Until then channel my saying that i have above my little podcast studio here do it now head on over to that patreon app keep the support flowing for the podcast make sure we're around for a long time to come i really appreciate that i love the idea of patreon that it's crowdsourcing this support from multiple parties so we don't have just one you know influential party determining this podcast so we can do things like call Astana, mad dopers without consequences you know we still have some libel laws going around but don't worry about that we'll talk about that down the line roman thanks for listening and you know what i'm going to be back again tomorrow chat to you then <laughs>